0: Maine's Political Pulse is made possible by Lee Jeep with the new Jeep Wrangler and Grand Cherokee 4xe plug-in hybrid models at Lee Jeep in Auburn and Westbrook. LeeAuto.com.
1: Welcome to Maine's Political Pulse. I'm Chief Political Correspondent Steve Missler. For this week's Pulse, we're bringing you my conversation with Democratic Governor Janet Mills, who will begin her second term early next month. We discussed her policy agenda and her take on some pressing issues confronting the state. We also talked about her election win over longtime antagonist, former Republican Governor Paul LePage, where she corrected me about her margin of victory. You ended up winning by 13 percentage points, which is... 13.3. 13.3 percentage (laughs) points, which is a landslide, right?
0: 9,000-something, yeah.
1: And the governor also made sure to point out that she carried the city in which LePage was raised. It was
0: very satisfying. To hear the vote, to have the vote come in from Lewiston and to win by a couple thousand votes. Where he was once mayor. It was very satisfying to have the vote come in from Waterville and to win handily there.
1: And where he lived temporarily during his bid for a third non-consecutive term. And even Edgecombe, little Edgecombe voted for me. Mills also provided her take on why she prevailed. And what's next?
0: People did not want to turn the clocks back. People wanted to continue doing what we, we started to do the first four years of my term, my first term. People wanted to see investments in child care and education and health care. People wanted to see progress. I think that um, the Dobbs decision had some effect as well. I think women turned out to vote, and women were voting for their rights. That was certainly a factor as well.
1: How much of a factor do you think that the abortion issue was in the race? I mean, it's hard to know, you know, to— quantify the, exactly how, what voters' motivations were, but.
0: It was an issue. Uh, and, uh, of course, it came up in several debates. And so was it, an issue? it was an issue there. But more importantly, I think uh, people knew that my administration had finally fully funded public education the way that the people had voted to do 17, 18 years before. People knew that we had made progress on health care, that we had finally expanded main care for the first time in years, even after the people had voted to do that before and seen five vetoes from the previous governor. They didn't want to go
1: back to those times. Do you think your opponent's record and conduct was a factor? Did people, do you think that was top of mind for voters? And, you know, I know there was an effort to sort of repair that image, if you will, by his campaign. But I, I kind of wonder if people still thought about it, especially in the context of the of the Trump years. I don't know what other people thought. Um, people,
0: Many, many people offered comments to me about his behavior. Whether that was top of mind on their part or not, I can't say. Um, people don't want to hear name calling and uh, uh, rudeness. People want some sense of stability in government. We've been through a lot these last few years. We've been through some topsy-turvy times through no fault of our own. People want some stability and consistency, and they want people to be talking to each other in civil fashion. They want common sense in government, and they want compassion.
1: That's what I heard. And have you heard from Mr. LePage since he conceded? Did he ever call to congratulate or send a note? Not a word. Not a word. Not a word. What do you make of
0: that? That speaks to him, uh, not to me.
1: We should talk about what happened last week with the emergency heating and Mm -hmm. housing assistance bill that you had hoped would pass on the first day of the legislative session, which I know is rare. But you view that there's an emergency, and a lot of other people believe that there's an emergency, emergency that could potentially... Uh, cost lives. You know, that bill failed after eight Republican senators blocked its passage. Um, they've since offered several reasons for opposing the bill. Uh, some are related to process concerns. Um, but what do you make of the rationale that you've heard sent from the Senate Republicans in particular?
0: Well, their explanation doesn't need to be heard by me. It needs to be heard by the main people. They need to explain to the main people why they essentially have stalled a bill that would be getting help out the door now to people while the temperatures are dropping. I'm hoping that uh, they'll can keep talking and keep uh, working on this measure, hoping that they'll come around. We only need a few votes in the Senate to enact this in the Senate at the soonest possible time. We heard about this on the campaign trail. Everybody, every member of the legislature heard about it on the campaign trail for the past months and months, how, ne- how the need is now... And we were fortunate enough to manage the budget in the last m- few months to uh, allow for a surplus to accrue. And this surplus is appropriate to spend on one-time purposes for emergency needs, and that's what we propose.
1: One of the concerns that was expressed by Senator Rick Bennett, the direct payments in particular would gobble up the surplus and leave no money for other budget initiatives. Is that a valid concern here? I think
0: that concern was addressed uh, by Representative Millett on the floor of the House of Representatives pretty adequately, a man with a great deal of experience in budgeting, who explained that this is one-time money. It does not eat up funds that are already allocated for health care, for nursing homes, for brain injured individuals, and all the things that we need to be taken care of. Um, Those issues remain addressed and will be addressed in the biennial budget and possibly supplemental budget, but we're not eating up funds that could go to other purposes.
1: I mean, is there a, an argument to be made that the income level should be lower um, to target the people most in need? I mean, that's what you originally proposed.
0: That whole thing, that that matter was discussed at length in the last few weeks, and this is where we ended up. And that's what the House voted on: 125 to 16, was it? So
1: um, that's where it stands. We just need a handful, just a couple of votes in the Senate. Do you anticipate that the budget will include more funding for Maine's system for providing legal services for indigent defense? As you know, the commission that oversees that program has asked for, I think, $13 million in additional funding in the hopes that it will be able to increase the hourly rate for defense attorneys. And I guess they're not participating in that program. And the hope is, is that by increasing the hourly rate, perhaps more will is that a solution? I am fully aware of the need for indigent, for legal counsel
0: for indigent defendants and people facing child custody, uh, child protection proceedings who constitutionally need uh, and require adequate legal counsel, competent legal counsel. Look, I represented indigent clients in, in Western Maine for about 14 years. So I'm aware of the need, constitutional need, societal need. Uh, people should never be left without counsel for days at a time, whether they're in jail or not in jail. Um, at a critical time in their lives, they need legal help. Clearly they do. I think there are some syst- systematic changes, system changes that can be done. I think there more money. some more money is w- will be required. Um, whether I agree with the MCILS proposal or not is another thing. Mm-hmm. I, I think that I want to encourage every law firm in the state of Maine to help us out here, get us over the hump. Um, and uh, I want to encourage law firms to designate lawyers in their firm to do work for, for indigenous uh, uh, defendants. And honestly, it not only provides a, a social service and a constitutional service, a public service, it gets people in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and it provides an experience like you're not gonna get otherwise to become a good lawyer. It's also a matter right now. The problem is the backlog of cases in the courts uh, across the state of Maine. We're seeing this nationwide as a built up, pent up uh, demand after the pandemic, built up during the pandemic. We've got to address the backlog in the court system because I understand why somebody might not want to take, maybe they'd offer to take five cases and the court says, well, here's 50. That's that that shouldn't happen either.
1: I want to ask about abortion real quick since it was such a big issue mm-hmm. in the election. You've previously mentioned that you're considering a bill that would enshrine this 1993 or 4 state law that has protected abortion access.
0: I'm waiting to hear back from the Attorney General's office about what they think the current status of the right to privacy including the right to right to abortion is under the main constitution.
1: I mean, if you did pursue a constitutional amendment, you would need obviously two-thirds of the legislature to get that to voters. Do you expect Republicans to vote for that?
0: I, I haven't asked, and so I won't know until something is put out there and uh, there's something to vote on. All the polls show that the people of Maine are overwhelmingly in support of uh, the right to uh, reproductive health care, including the right
1: to abortion. I want to ask you quickly about tribal tribal issues. I know you obviously you opposed the sweeping sovereignty bill earlier this year. It's unclear if uh, House Speaker Rachel Talbot Ross will reintroduce a similar measure. The tribes have indicated that they're interested in overhauling this forty-year-old agreement. What is your interest in talking to the tribes about opening up that agreement to you know? You know in their view, it's obviously they feel like it's prevented them from some self economic self determination. A Harvard study that they commissioned seemed to agree with them. There's a lot to be done
0: to repair the history between the tribes and the state of Maine going back 300 years. There's a lot to be done to repair the, the hurt that's involved in our relationships with the tribes going back a long ways. Um, and I think we've done a lot in the last four years to do that. The Settlement Act is not sacrosanct. It has been amended in the past, and we've worked, my administration has worked on amendments to the Settlement Act, and um, um, we've gone, we've taken some pretty big steps that way, um, and not just symbolic things, like changing Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day, uh, banning uh, tribal mascots at schools, things of that sort, which were important, are important, uh, to send a message to people that we're not going to um, diminish people's rights. The the posthumous pardon I did for Donald Gellers was just very, very emotional. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to hopefully repairing some of the damage that um, some of the um, relationships going back to 1970 it's an incredible story. And then we worked we worked on for 2 years we worked on changing the law to allow to enact some of the most stringent water quality standards for those rivers and waterways in Maine that are particularly valuable to the tribes for sustenance fishing. That was a heavy lift. And that got done because we got it done with the work of the tribes and the legislature and then we worked on the VAWA bill for several years to make sure it was done and done right. So now we have tribal jurisdiction over people who commit domestic violence on tribal land against tribal individuals by non-tribal individuals. So that was a heavy lift. It, it, it's not as simple as it sounds. Mm-hmm. And then this past year, uh, LD 585, to, to codify a me, means of communication and... Uh, uh, cooperation that didn't exist in law before, and to provide some significant income tax benefits to tribal entities, and to give them an exclusive on uh, online gaming, online gambling. That was a big move. Look, I vetoed two <laughs> online game, gaming bills in the past, right? I'm not a big fan. But I said, well, you know, if they really want that, and didn't, inc- didn't uh, engender a lot of good feelings from certain members of the legislature by doing that either. We got two casinos going on, and they wanted that too. So that was a big move. Um, so we made a lot of progress. I didn't see anything like those moves in years past from previous administrations. So uh, I think we have, we have a, a budding relationship, a good relationship. Um, I'll take it one issue at a time.
1: Last question. Um, I know you got to go. Um, you know, sometimes you, when a governor, their first term, they're a little bit careful, cautious, you know, low-key because they're running for re-election. We had a
0: pandemic, for God's sake. That well, was cautious and low-key. They <laughs> called me a dictator. No. <laughs> well, I know. <laughs> Sorry.
1: But, you know, now you don't have to worry about re-election. Um, oh. What Do you anticipate any big changes? Uh, I mean, do you feel, I don't know, liberated by that in any way? And what can we expect from Janet Mills 2.0? uh look <laughs> i'm
0: i'm the same person i was november 7th uh, november 9th i was the same people person as i was 2 days before the election day before the election so um uh honestly i think people see that uh with me uh what you get is what you see i don't expect to change i haven't changed in I'm not going to repeat my age, but I haven't changed in all those years. <laughs> I don't expect to change now. in how I do things, how I communicate, um, relationship building,
1: those kinds of things that I think people want to see. Well, thank you for taking so much time and uh, speaking with us. We really appreciate it. It's good to see you. Thank
0: you. Same here. Okay.
1: And that's Maine's Political Pulse for this week. Governor Janet Mills had a lot more to say during our interview, and you can listen to it in its entirety by clicking the link in this week's Pulse newsletter. You can get that by subscribing via email, or you can visit mainpublicorg Pulse to find a link there. A reminder that The Pulse will be taking a break for the holidays, but on December 22nd, you can listen to us on Main Calling for their year in review program. I'm Steve Missler. We'll talk to you soon.